I was working at the Marriott for like two years and then I just got tired of cooking the same protein, starch, veg. Now I'm a private chef. I prep at my house. I've turned my kitchen into a uh, industrial style kitchen. I go to the site and cook there for them. People wanted lessons from me through Zoom and I was wondering how they would shop. Hey, can you find black garlic where you are? I don't know where you are. Like stuff like that, you know, teaching a group of ladies. There was like 10 of them that they all just wanted to sit there and have a celebrity chef come through and show them how to make something easy. You know, I think everybody's just kind of, to be honest, they're bored, you know, and they, they want to eat good. And what, what do you do right now? Welcome to this week's episode of Well Season the Podcast. I'm Patrick, and this is my co-host, Stacey Ann, Anne-Marie, Van Horn, Doria. Okay, enough with the government issued name. Jesus Christ. CMP. Like, I'm always afraid that one day he's going to find my social security and just blurt it out. He's at it. She's CMP, PIC. She's everything. Yeah, I know. Let's <laughs> go. <laughs> Well, welcome. So, hi, everybody. We're back for another episode, and we have my friend who keeps you well-fed, and I'm so excited to see him because it's been a while, Chef Adam Webb. So, hi, Chef. How you doing? Hello, everybody. Good to be here. Adam's going to be talking food, and we all know that we stay hungry, so this is going to be fantastic. <laughs> so, Adam, go ahead, introduce yourself, tell them a little bit about yourself and what you do, and we'll get started. My name's Chef Adam Webb. I... I've been cooking for as long as I can remember. I was unhappy with the way my parents cooked for me, and I was tired of eating just like crap. So I went to school, started cooking, started making good food, started traveling from Austin, Texas. I went to culinary school there, moved up to Vail, Colorado. I worked there for about four years for the Park Hyatt Beaver Creek. In the downtime, we would task force to other hotels. So I got a lot of exposure, got the opportunity to work under a lot of different chefs and then travel while I was doing it. Being in the hotels, it gave you a lot of opportunity to get rooms in different countries. And I utilized that to the full extent. We went to Tokyo, Barcelona, Moscow, Helsinki, you name it. We probably went there just to go eat. We love food. And eating those foods from around the world, we just take what we love and bring it back to your table now. Chef Adam and I met, it's probably been almost 10 years now eight or nine years. Yeah. It's been that long. We met at my previous job and that's been a while actually. And I was there in San Diego. And I think at the time you were at the Hilton, was it the Hilton? I was at the Hilton Bayfront. Yep. Yep. And so I was there for a really long show for 10 days. And it was one of those shows where you work all day long and you come back and you have no energy to go anywhere except for downstairs to grab something to eat. And that's it. And Chef Adam was sitting there doing his thing. And I was like, hey, make me food. And that's how we met. <laughs> and so for 10 days, you fed me all the best of things that were not on the menu. And it was delicious. And I still talk about it. And the other day, in one of my memories, because it was like around January, I think, that we actually met. One of the memories came up where you were cooking my, you know, my watermelon salad that I made you make every single day. <laughs> and um that's how we met. So I'm really happy that you're able to talk with us. And I figured this would be great for us to kind of talk about food. We wanted to talk about food design because as we talk about everything, we talk about um, lighting and decor and event messaging and planning. 
food design is so crucial to that. So the first question I have is, what are you seeing a lot of right now? With And I shouldn't say right now, because right now isn't accurate. When outside was open, <laughs> we were actually planning these huge thousand-person events. What were the trends that you were seeing? In the hotels, it's hard to find trends because you're doing such big numbers. You have a party for 300, 500, and 1,200 all going out at noon. So the simplicity was our game there. Trends have grown since then. What has it been? 10 years? Coming from there, like since the hotels have closed, people nowadays want that restaurant feel in their home. And that's what I'm bringing them. I'm bringing them a great opportunity just to have what they can get out there, but in their own home and not have to be charged a cork fee, not have to be charged this and that and be able to get there and worry where to park and everything like that. You're in the comfort of your own home. I come there, I'll cook for you, you and your family. And then when I'm done, I'll clean up and leave. And now you can just hang out on the couch, watch the tube. Watch the tube? How old are you? <laughs> you can even come to the dinner table with your pajamas on, you know what I mean? But running right now, as far as food plating, a lot of people love just infusion. Nobody really wants a theme anymore. It used to be themed, you know, we would have, uh, I really like French style, or I really like Norwegian all that good stuff, you know, depending on where you want to come from. But now they want a Japanese appetizer. They want beef Wellington in the middle and then finish up with something that's more of like Pula or something like that, that comes from more of like Finland and stuff. So they like everything all over the place. You know, they're always open to try new things. And that's what I try to bring them. I'll try to do simple things, just like a short rib. But my short rib comes with a pepper jack grits, with a pomegranate reduction, a little bit of this and some of that. And micro veg is pretty popular right now. Just little things, you know, just to have it there, be able to feel, have all these products on the plate, but not get too full. So I'm not Southern. And so I, I love grits, but I just have not made them. That's not my thing. Right now, my thing is very awkward, but um, I'm growing my food. You know, we were talking about this before and I'm, I'm starting to grow all these microgreens and stuff. So you just kind of touched my heart. But um, when planning events, I think that planners, they get trapped into looking at the menu that's offered. And then instead of being creative and thinking outside of that, they'll be like, oh, I like this salad, but it's only with this Thursday meal. Let me see if I can get them to move it to this Wednesday meal. But they don't really actually take the time to talk to the chef to see what we can actually do. Were you involved in the planning process a lot? Or do you think that you were just kind of given, here's a menu and this is what we need to do? Good question. Because with every client's different. Coming into the personal chef business, really, it's been around, but now it's starting to really take off. And people really don't have a standardized way of doing it. You know, there's no standardized pricing because every menu is different. Every menu that I create, especially designed for that part I ask them, is there a theme? If it's your father's birthday, what does he like? What is his favorite dish? And I'll try to recreate. I always tell people, think about one time you were traveling and you just had the best dish. Let me know what it is and I'll recreate it for you if that's what you want. A lot of people like their comfort food. They like stuff that they've had before because they know it, you know, and they know that they like it. Coming up with new products, you know, sometimes it's scary for people that are just more simple, but... I've tried to bring that simplicity with a little bit of a twist. So Wellington, I will take beef tenderloin. 
I sous vide and charred carrot carrot oranges. I do black garlic, thyme, a little bit of Dijon mustard, some salt and pepper, and then bone marrow butter. Then I'll sous vide that for about two, two and a half hours, bring it into it with a chanterelle duck cell, and then a chicken liver pate, and then wrap that up in some puff pastry. At the end, it's a Wellington and it's been done before. But the products that we have now that we've kind of like come into and everybody's coming out with something new and different ways of fermenting stuff. So like we try to utilize that and people are definitely reacting in a good way. You're bringing up the comfort food. It's for two reasons, right? It makes people happy when they could see something they know that brings them back to childhood or brings them back to specific memory. But the second part of comfort food on the planner side is that's the easiest way that people can think to save money. I think I told this story before in podcasts. I did a thousand or 1200 person event. There was no budget. And so we did fancy chicken pot pies with a phyllo puff pastry top. And we didn't call it chicken pot pie. It was like chicken pot pie. And it was like, everyone absolutely loved it. And we're like, you're eating chicken pot pie. It's not that fancy, but I think that people get caught up and they don't know how to think outside of the box in doing something a little bit different that could still be cost effective. Yeah. I can't tell you how many events I've been to where whoever's planning or the committee or whatever it is just walks in and says, okay, let's do this easy. We're going to pick these three things and we're stuck with, you know, airplane chicken, whatever you call it. Uh, (laughs) See, I'm not even a chef and I, I know this terms, but what can you do to challenge the chef at, a particular location. I am so certain because in my part of the industry, we like to be challenged. We don't like to do the same thing over and over again. And I'm sure it's the same behind the scenes for the chef and the crew at a hotel or a banquet or a private chef. You don't want to do the same thing all the time. And like you said, that's the reason that you left it and ended up going to do what you want. So I think for some of our listeners out there, the important thing is you're on that site visit. Why don't you ask for the chef if, if the chef's not going to be involved in it? Let's get them involved in the process. Hey, we're coming here to Miami. Obviously, Cuban food's a big thing, but what's something that you specialize in? What's something that we can make that's a little bit different? That's not just the Cuban sandwich and some papaya. So let's do something a little bit more creative. What do you suggest and, and right. everything? Ask them to come outside of the box and, and think that way. Absolutely. And don't badmouth the airline chicken. You got a wing at the, you eat the press. Then you got to listen. That's the best kind of chicken that I like. (laughs) No, absolutely. Absolutely. But I can't tell you how many times I've been there and they always come with the chicken, the little starch, and then the carrots (laughs) that are sliced just at an angle. Like, I can't tell you how many times that's been my meal. Like, at least just make it look different. different. You know, uh, marinate the chicken differently, you know, season stuff, you know, there's little ways you can, in the industry, we call it stepping on it. You grab something that's just standard, you know, and then you can step on a little bit. So if you want to have like a pre-made demi or something like that, just add garlic and herbs and red wine and all this good stuff to it, just to kind of like make it more bold and bring it out. So that's also popular too, you know, in the hotels, I've always gotten really excited about working for new chefs because I want to know what they know. I want to pick their brain. I want to see what kind of menus that they come up with. And whenever you have like a standardized menu like that, it does get mundane after a while and it gets gets overdone. That's how I feel planning. I can only look at a a buffet for but so long before I'm like, it's the same damn buffet. Like I don't want to see this. And talking about buffets, what do you think is going to happen now? I don't know if we're going to go back to the standard buffet, but at the same time, 
there's a reason why we use buffets, right? They're more cost-effective in a lot of times, in a lot of places, or you don't have the time to do the full plating and the service and all that. How do you see buffets moving forward? As far as the times goes with COVID and everything like that, and how they've kind of been outlawed just for the sharing aspect of it, I still love family style. Everybody coming together, having the food Plus, it's easier. In the kitchen, honestly, as much as you want to be creative and look at the food, you also have to look at the price and you have to look at the numbers as well. So whenever you have to feed 300 people and you only have five cooks, you need to be able to do what you can to get there. You're paying these cooks minimum wage. How much can you really ask out of them? But that's why you look for people that are excited, that want to be here. The Johnny Go-Getter, so to speak, that just wants to create people that still have a little bit of creativity in them, you know, and they haven't been burnt out yet. So it's always good to bring on new chefs and uh, see what they have to offer. Yeah. One of my bigger last in-person events, I did exactly that, Adam. I went to family style. So I took away the buffet. I didn't do the plated meal. I did everything family style. And I did these beautiful um, tall center pizzas and long runner center pizzas And it was such a hit. Everyone absolutely loved that because one, for them, it wasn't waiting for the service to come by plated. You know, everything was there and they didn't have to look at somebody else being jealous that they got the fish, they got chicken, everything was there and they were able to share and it kind of opened up the communication. And it's exactly that. It's family style. Everyone just had such a great time. I know when I go out to eat with my friends, We don't order one meal per person. That's what we did. Yeah. (laughs) A whole bunch of apps. Right. (laughs) of everything. So what's on the happy hour menu? Yeah, we'll take one of each, you know, Mm -hmm. and then we'll all share. So that's why I like family style. You get to taste a little bit of everything as well. If you want to go to a place like the uh, Cheesecake Factory and you want one big meal to yourself, that's fine. I just want my Long Island iced tea to myself. Let me be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to share the drinks. (laughs) So, Stacey, you being a party planner and communicating with a lot of chefs and going to different properties and sites and stuff like that, you have a lot of experience with dealing with different people and Mm -hmm. different styles. So my question for you is that you know how to do this. So how did you speak to the chefs in a sense where like you wanted something different? Did you try to pull it out of them or did they give you a preset menu and then you get to choose from there? I did both, right? So I think early on in my career, I was very timid. I was shy. I didn't know. I didn't want to mess up, right? So you kind of depend on those preset menus. As you start doing more site visits, it was less about the planner or the salesperson I was walking with and more about the people I was working with. Right. So it's like, I want to get back there, meet the chef and talk to them. And I would tell them in advance, make time for me to actually talk to that chef. And what was nice was sometimes they would actually have the chef do a special lunch for you. So you kind of experience what that chef's capabilities are. And for me, I love to cook. I think you know this, right? We talk about it all the time and I'm always doing something different. And everybody always asks me, I do the studying behind cooking. So like, I like to study the science behind it. So I know what I'm doing. And so when I talk to the chef, it's a little selfish because I'm learning a little bit to apply to my kitchen. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, listen, I just had this gorgeous orange glaze duck confit in this restaurant in Chicago. And I want to replicate that for this menu. How can we do that? Exactly what you said. My inspiration is what I had or maybe something I just saw on YouTube and saying, how can we replicate this for three to 500 people? So I really do take the time to get to know the chef, the sous chef. And I've been on the sales side of it as well, where I had to work 
with catering hand in hand on the Intrepid. They don't have a kitchen. They have to bring in every single piece of equipment to actually cater. And so I kind of understand the behind the scenes of it. That's what I do. As a chef, I appreciate your opinions and your menu suggestions. You know, when people come there and they're just like, I, I don't know, surprise me, you know, then you get really creative and you don't know where they come from. My advice is just to have a little bit of an idea. Yeah. Just some kind of direction. And then they can build off of that. For me, especially in the corporate world, you have to play up to the bosses, right? So especially when someone new comes in, I do a lot of sitting back and watching, right? Like they gravitating towards red or white wine. I had one boss who loved pigs in a blanket. I had another one who, you know, loved hamburgers and apple pie stations. And I'm like, okay, like I see what they're continuing to go towards. Now, how can I upgrade that as part of my menu? So that when I'm speaking to you, I could say, listen, I have someone on my team that absolutely loves red wine and is going to want to pair it with something. And that's something too, for me, I like food. Food is not as much my passion as it is yours, clearly, but I love food and I love wine. So I'm studying right now the Court of Masters, and I study with a professional wine group every week, and I'm trying to match it back and forth. So if I were to talk to you, I would understand what I'm trying to go to. I try to get, you know, somewhere close to your level, maybe, you know, not that close, but here, so that we're talking at the same time. All right, we don't have to same page as long as we're on the same chapter. You know? That's it. That's all. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> so if we could shift gears just a little bit into something that interests me about food in the way that it's displayed at events and everything... I don't know if you guys know this name, but I'm a big fan of Barton G. It's a restaurant in Miami, and then there's one in L.A. And they also do event production on the side, but they're not a sponsor yet. But if you uh, just want to go and Google about them, their presentation of their food comes in very crazy ways. And I've absolutely loved this restaurant, and I follow them on Instagram and all the social medias because I, I love the way that they present it. I'll give you some examples. They have popcorn chicken. It comes out in an actual huge popcorn cart when they're serving it and the chicken comes out and is literally on a bed of popcorn with the chicken on top falling out. They have lobster pop tarts. So when they serve these, they come out, everybody will have a toaster that literally has lobster sticking out of it like a pop tart. And then they'll do desserts. Their dessert platter always comes with a cotton candy and it's like a head in the middle of the table and the hair on it is like a Marie Antoinette hairdo with butterflies coming out of it. And it's all cotton candy. So they just serve food in very crazy ways. And I've always been inspired by how they do things, you know, and like they they take non-traditional food things to put on their table that they'll serve with the food, like big shovels with like cho- gold chocolate or something. I mean, they, they just do the craziest, wildest things. So moving that into the events world, obviously knowing that that's a huge budget thing, but moving it into reality, how... Adam and Stacy, when you guys have done events, have you guys seen things being displayed in interesting ways, shaking up the the, the traditional buffet, shaking up the way that, you know, that uh, that airplane chicken is shown on the plate? What are some things or places that you draw inspiration from or things like that? Stacey, <laughs> OK, so I watch a lot of YouTube cooking videos. <laughs> I watch a lot of international YouTube cooking videos and, and I, like, I don't, this is stupid, but Zumbo's just dessert challenges on Netflix and stuff like that. And so for me, it can get a little too weird for me. I've seen people serve like chocolate cakes and mini toilets. And I'm like, okay, that's too close. I don't want this in my life, <laughs> but, um, 
I think my inspiration mostly comes from nature because I live surrounded by mountains and I'm totally this plant girl that just happened last year, right? And so I think my inspiration comes more from that than anything else. I like the elements of, you know, the dry ice and using a shovel instead of a fork and all that. If I can eat shovel, if it's chocolate, I'm okay with that. But um, I think that's where my inspiration, I like, I like to see things layered a bit. So not so much just flat on the plate. I like to see some kind of depth, which I'm sure is it's just probably like, yeah, duh, everyone does that. I don't know, but that's where I am. Absolutely. Plating is all about depth, color palettes, textures. There's so many different kinds of factors that go into plating. And that's where the true art comes out for some people. That's when you turn into myself. I don't draw, I don't paint or anything like that, but creating food is my art. And when the product is done, not only does it have to taste good, it's got to look pretty. The vessel is a very important part of the dish as well what you put the food in, how you present the food. And there's a lot of different stuff like Alenia is one of the uh, most known restaurants in the U.S. And the way they present their things, they make it into a experience. You know, it's not only about the food, it's the experience when you go there. And that's, I think, what people remember. My friends always make fun of me. Home Goods has a lot of my money. I'm constantly there buying so many different plates and bowls and all that. And they'll be like, Stacey, we're coming over. And I'm like, oh, okay, hold on. I have to go to Home Goods. I have to get something new so I can plate this up. And I have so much fun with stuff like that. So I agree with what you're saying. That's good. That's good. The IKEA stores, the ones down here in Miami, they'll do um, design challenges and they invite a bunch of event planners. And I'm happy to tell you I'm a two-time champion of this design challenge. Your challenge to go through the store almost like supermarket suite, you get in a team, you run through the store, you grab a couple of items or whatever, and then you go back into a room and each area you were given like a theme or something and they give you the table in the room so you already know what the table is. And then you're running through the store, just grabbing unique items and trying to make a non-traditional things into some kind of an interesting setup. So I love stuff like that. So Ikea is a store that has identified that they are beneficial to our industry as well. And hey, we have a bunch of crazy random things. And they're working on the last couple of years, challenging people, again, not a sponsor yet, but they've been challenging people to think outside of the box because obviously it's going to benefit them. But how can you use this picture frame that you would normally use as a picture frame, but now maybe think about that picture frame as something else, as part of the centerpiece or as part of, you know, whatever. Jeff, I have a question for you. You've been saying black garlic, which I think is hilarious because I just discovered the joy of black garlic. I have not found a whole black garlic that people say they get in Costco I'm still looking for the whole stuff, but I got the the granulated, which I'm like, this is interesting. What What's the seasoning that you think people don't know about that they should introduce to their food? Um, salt. Simplest, <laughs> <laughs> but most important, you know, ingredient and everything. And salt is not a spice. It's a flavor enhancer. So as long as your salt content's on point, yes. Wait, before you go there, can I add to salt? Not all salt is created equally. People need to understand that Morton table salt is different than red diamond kosher salt, different than Morton's kosher salt. Like, I think that's also important to know, too. Sea salt. Like, it's all, I, I have multiple salts because I know they're not all created different, or they're not all created equally, I should be saying. And so I use them all differently. That's it. Continue. 
Absolutely. And there's so many different kinds of salts now. Like when I went to Barcelona, I brought back a whole bunch. Now I have a Merlot salt. I have a lavender and orange zest salt. You know, like people are starting to infuse it to make citrus salts and different like spicy smoked sea salt, of course, you know, and the way that you use that in the dish, it can enhance it a little bit more to bring a little bit more flavor to the base of it, you know, or just have a finishing salt, anything like that. But other uh, ingredients, you know, um, that I've been using Lately, I, I like to use a lot of white shisho. I have a raspberry vinaigrette that I've been using a lot lately to pickle and stuff like that. So the infusion of different things kind of um, have been a little bit more trendy. Black garlic is always a good one. Fermented garlic that just kind of brings a little bit of a sweeter but still bold kind of flavor to the uh, to the dish. I also like a little bit of Aleppo pepper. My favorite. You like Aleppo. I love Aleppo pepper. Right. It's my favorite. <laughs> it's on my subscribe and save. <laughs> so some of the things that I'm in my pantry, you know, I have um, truffle zest, you know, truffle has turned into so many different kinds of products now. You can have oil, you can have zest, you can have chips and water, you know, or you can get the real thing and um, just to infuse it different ways. And, and all these things you can make yourself as well. Yeah. I ask that question as we, as planners, come up with menus, right? Like, Think about these items when you're trying to think of like, how can I think outside the box in terms of um, creating something, right? So I use Aleppo pepper with a Zatar seasoning, like Zatar, lemon, Aleppo. And I, I do like a Cornish game hen in it and then grill it. It's amazing with oil and marinade, but, or I'll look at where the region is and I'll go, let me see how I can touch upon like a Mediterranean style menu or, you know, an Italian style menu and kind of same thing, fusion kind of thing. Food is such a crucial part of the event experience. So many times people will not remember the most expensive keynote speaker that you got for the day, but they will remember that damn chicken sandwich and how great it was and how they want to come back to that hotel just so that they can have that chicken sandwich. So we need to really give food its props. (laughs) That's true too. Or it could go the other way too and be like, you know what? Salmon sucked. Not going back there again. You know? I thought I had an eggs Benedict from this one hotel and the egg was hard boiled. That was what lost me. And that was the breakfast. Okay. I had that. I cut into it and I went, well, I know where I'm not booking. <laughs> yeah. The rest of your day was shot after that. <laughs> I was like big mad about that. I was like, we haven't even started the site visit. And I was so mad because I looked at everything. The hotel was amazing. And I'm like, but you gave me a hard boiled eggs Benedict. Like, I don't understand how I'm supposed to work this out. <laughs> But yeah, you know, something I was just thinking about, and this is this is switching gears again. I, I guess I'm good at switching gears, but I was just thinking to myself with COVID and before COVID, we were kind of moving to, you know, an app like Uber Eats or any of the countless other ones that there are out there, like Postmates or whatever. When the Disney parks in Florida reopened during COVID, they moved to asking you to order before you even go into the park itself. What are you going to have for lunch tomorrow? We'll have it preset at a certain time. And here's your pickup location. It, it just dawned on me in, in this conversation. I wonder if there's something to that in the future of events, you know, just like a wedding. Hey, are you going to have the beef or the chicken or the fish? But more than that, maybe going into a corporate thing. Okay, we're all worried about your food allergies, but hey, here's the menu during registration or a few days before. Do you want to pre-order what your lunch is going to be? I don't know. Maybe that's that's getting crazy and I'm giving some of you guys anxiety out there listening. Just thinking about the ops behind that, but where's the future of this going for our industry for planning? Uh, quite the contrary. 
Chefs love reservations. Yeah. We love knowing how many people are going to come and we're disappointed when they don't make the reservations. If they could pre-order the food or tell us what they wanted beforehand, that would even be better because the whole point of a restaurant is you have such a menu, you don't know what people are going to order. So that's where the food waste is, you know, and that's where the money is lost. And if you could have like, we're going to have a party of four on Saturday, we're going to have the steak. Then you can know that they're going to have steaks and we can pre-order for that event. So instead of having to have everything on the line, just in case they order it, you know, it's also not as good as, as far as um, cost efficiency. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that's a great idea and I wish people could do it. But the problem is that people don't really know what they want till they get there. They don't know what the restaurant has to offer. And that's the other thing is when people come to me for a menu, they ask me to send them stuff just so they can pick. They have a choice, actually. Well, they, they have something to pick up and it just makes it easier. You give people too many options and they start getting confused. You know, so if you can keep it really simple and just have a couple good items, you know, people are happy with that. Oh, 100%. One thing that I love from watching Gordon Ramsay on his little cooking shows, and I think it's so true, when you walk into a restaurant and you see they have a menu that is just way too big for the number of seats in there, you're like, they cannot possibly be good at all of those things, much less any of those things. I love it when you go into a restaurant and it is a more limited menu because you know they are going to be concentrated really good at, at, at that, at those particular things. And you know, they're going to be fresh because you're walking into this restaurant and they only have 10 things on the menu versus you're walking into another restaurant where, you know, maybe they have, you know, it's like a book when you, when you walk Don't in with the menu. Out Cheesecake Factory. Don't do it. Cheesecake Factory. That. Exactly what I was thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, listen, it, okay? listen I, I love Grand Lux and Cheesecake Factory, but they're not sponsors yet. <laughs> so we'll, we'll go there. <laughs> you will delete this episode when there's sponsors. <laughs> I go back to the same one item at Cheesecake Factory. I really do. Like, I, I I do the same thing. See, and that just proves a point. You know, that you can have everything and you still go back to that one item because you feel comfortable with it. If you had it before, you're a little uncertain of all the other stuff. And like like you said, like when there's too many options, people get overwhelmed, especially the cooks in the back. Yeah. I actually prefer having a menu where you get fresh product and whenever the product's out, we're out, you know? Yeah. And that shows how fresh it is. Yeah. Because sometimes when you have a menu that's so big, just like the Cheesecake Factory <laughs> and uh, halibut hasn't sold in a while, you know, you never know how long that halibut's been there. But we have to have it because... I'm going to get in trouble if we don't. Yeah, they're going to yeah. have it just for the hell of it. Oh, my God. I right. had to do it. Oh, I had to do it. God. Sorry, guys, for the dad joke. It just had to pop oh, out. No. It had to pop out. <laughs> um, you, don't you know, do this to me, Adam. Don't don't turn into a dad joke person. Please don't do this. Okay. You touched on something, Adam, that is near and dear to the, the hearts of several friends of mine that have done different events around this, but about food waste. Mm. And there are different groups out there that are trying to to find ways to minimize food waste in the events industry. And also, you know, when you're planning events, going ahead and hooking up with a local food recovery place when you're planning your event so that that food that is going to be just wasted anyway will go to a homeless shelter or something like that to help people. Check out the uh, Sustainable Events Network. They have a lot of great resources on that. I believe it's senfc.org. And it's the Sustainable Events Network. They talk a lot about food waste in our industry specifically. Last year, they did some stuff with the Super Bowl, going in and, and rescuing some of the food from the different restaurants at the ballpark and taking them out and other great things. So yeah, just check them out. They have some really great ideas about what to do about food waste. I forget which show I was watching on Netflix. 
and they were talking about this uh, restaurant in Hudson Valley, New York, and they literally only use the food waste to actually cook. So for example, somebody will buy the cauliflower, they'll use the cauliflower leaves. Somebody will get the fish, they'll only use the fish head, which in Jamaica, fish head is like the best to make soup, like fish tea, like it's the best. But we, so it's interesting when you talk about food waste because we as individuals, even outside of the event industry, just living our personal lives, have to do so much better about it. Like I made a commitment to myself this year and to my household that we would stop wasting because, you know, I'm a person who will go shopping all the damn time and then things get pushed in the back of the fridge and I'll forget so I started doing like a leftover like Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, we started doing that. Yeah. And just really limiting, like I am not going to a supermarket and we are not going out. We are going to find something to eat in this house. No. And so um, what what do you do to kind of combat that? Well, that shows creativity right there. And one of the things I pride myself on is having nothing in the fridge and I'll come up with something good. Remember those olives from those martinis we had two weeks ago? Well, I'm going to take those up, chop them up, put them in my sauce. Yeah. You like that. Absolutely. The thing about food waste is that just to pre-order and being a good chef is that you should know, and there's different formulas to see how much you need to order. The only food waste that I'm concerned about is the food that people just don't eat because I have to have it there for them, especially in a banquet style setting when you've already prepaid. You know, I have to have at least four ounces of potatoes per person. And if half the people don't eat potatoes, I got to have it anyways. You know, yeah. and that's the thing about catering is that you can't run out of food. So cross utilization of food is always a a key and it's a must, you know, when you have oranges on the menu, make sure we have them in the salad. We use, we zest them in this, you know, we, uh, we even use the rind for this, you know, and, um, you kind of use every single part of it and being a good chef is utilizing all parts of the food, you know, and not having any waste. I actually like to, uh, gather my waste while I'm cutting and while I'm prepping and everything in a clear container just to see myself how much I'm wasting, how much of that onions left over that I'm just throwing away, how much of some things like broccolini, when you have to trim it off, you know, you're going to cut that off and then it's just a waste. When people use asparagus tips, what do you do with the rest of the three fourths of the asparagus? You know, you start to to try to utilize those because we're in this to make money, you know, and food and it's not only wasting in it as a moral aspect, it's not good as far as costume. You just brought up such a very obvious point that I didn't think of, especially as an entrepreneur. And of course you're going to look at all that and say, how can I reuse it here? Maybe I might shave this asparagus to make something on the plate. Or I didn't even think about that, but it's so very obvious. And if we just take even that little piece of what you said, it's such great advice as I'm cooking just to think, if I'm going to throw this out, what can I do with it next? That's kind of how I went to the whole gardening model, right? I was tired of going to the store and buying all these vegetables to go bad in my fridge where I can grow everything and I could pick it fresh and use it exactly when I need it. And beyond that, now also I'll make bags and give it to my community as well, right? To my neighbors and all that so that it's not going to waste somebody has something. That's great. Just share it. Whenever you have too much product, pickle it, make so that it can uh, last a while, you know, and then give it out to my friends. Like for Christmas, all the family members, you know, if you have a whole bunch of different fruits and stuff that you grew that you can't get in, you know, or you're like, maybe I can't 
because it's about to go bad, just pickle it and then put it in a jar, give it to all your family members for Christmas, knocked out 12 gifts. Right, right. <laughs> That's awesome. Like yeah. the end of the season last year, I had, I think, two or three gallon bags worth of tomatoes. I froze it all and then I just made a tomato crab bisque with everything right. for the winter and it worked out. It was great, but you can easily just go, well, this summer vegetable's done, take the whole tree and throw it away, right? It was just like, no, this is all great food. I'm not going to throw away what I, I worked so hard to grow. And then you can also reuse it in your compost for further growth, stuff like that yeah. too. Still learning the compost part of it. I still need help with composting. I, I want to do it so badly and yet I'm afraid. I don't know why. But yeah. <laughs> Nothing to be afraid about. I've done composting here at my house for some time and we're lucky because we have some different area for it. And so we'll put down, make a big pile and then cut the grass and put grass clippings on top and then put tarps over it and then let it heat down. And that stuff becomes the best soil you have ever seen in your life. You've had good experiences with all that. Yeah. Growing it. Very nice. Yeah. So we use that and we put it in our little vegetable garden. I don't even know, Adam, what we should do with this. Paige has a miniature eggplant growing or something. I, what do you even do with little? I, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a little eggplant, but she has little eggplants growing. Oh, be good. That's actually another trend that's going on right now. Is uh, micro food, mini food, mini foods. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's fun. Mini eggplants, you can do a lot of stuff with them. You can roast them off. You can also use them just right, like regular ones. Make a baba ganoush or anything like that. The thing about the mini is is it allows you to taste a lot of different things and have a lot of different components on the dish without getting overwhelmed with it and getting full by it. Like you said before, when you have the chicken, the starch, and then all the carrots just sliced up, you know, that's, it's a lot of carrot, you know, and you don't want to waste it and everything. But if you have like miniature food, then you can have carrots, radishes, you can have maybe beets on there, mini beets. That, that's actually pretty popular right yeah. now. Yeah. And then be able to enjoy everything, just how you compose it. You know what else is popular? Different food colors. Yeah. Red beets, yellow right. beets, green beets, like these jeweled corn or, you know, not just like a purple eggplant, but like a green eggplant. Like, I feel like that's also something that's getting really popular. I don't know. I'm seeing it a lot. You have the orange carrot. You have the white carrot. You have the purple carrot. Purple carrot, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, everyone's just trying to add color to their plate, which I'm not mad at that. At that. Not at all. Not at all. Absolutely. I think color is a very important aspect of plating as well. You know, just that kind of visualization and having it vibrant. And that's why when we have our greens and our carrots and everything like that, we like to blanch them. And, you know, you want to bring out that chlorophyll and shock it real fast. So it looks vibrant. It looks healthy. It looks great. You know, very. And it doesn't look army green like it's overcooked asparagus or something like that. Oh, Oh, God. That's pet peeve. Pet peeve. I hate overcooked veggies. I can't. Sorry. Just sorry. <laughs> I hate overcooked veggies. Um, yeah. I'm going to ask one selfish question and then we'll we'll start wrapping up. What's your favorite food te- or cooking technique? Oh, so I really like using the sous vide. Uh, sous vide allows me to infuse my flavors into my proteins. And sometimes I'll even sous vide my honey you know, with lemon just to infuse that and then put that in my, my cocktail and stuff. You know, I actually sous vide a lot. Um, also, marinades are very important. Don't get marinades confused with seasoning. Just because it's marinated doesn't mean it's seasoned, you know, and stuff like that. So as far as 
I'm, I'm very French classically trained, you know, bringing up from the bottom, just deep flavors, reduce, 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 you know, get all that flavor and, and, you know, uh, get the best out of it. So you can actually enjoy it in a small amount and stuff. So I don't know. There's so many different new things. Now, now with molecular style cooking, we can make different kinds of blueberry caviar. We can make different things just by manipulating the elements of it and different foams and stuff like that too. So I actually like to, like you said earlier with our utensils and stuff, the way it's presented, like I don't really like rosemary because it overwhelms the dish. But if I have, I found these forks that have a twisted... Um, handle where you can actually put a rosemary stem in there. So whenever you eat, you just have the scent of rosemary instead of adding it to the dish. And then if you don't like it, always just toss it out to the I'm side. I'm going to need a link. I'm going to need a link to that for Oh, yeah? Okay. All right. Awesome. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so cool. <laughs> so there's different things like that that you can do and bring it in, bring in different flavors to it. Uh, having a smoke, you know, a uh, smoke dome with it and having that kind of a lot of people in uh, restaurants, I uh, think, um, I'm not too sure who was doing it. Probably, uh, I think it was the Drunken Goat Chicago where they bring your dish, put it on a lavender pillow. So as soon as you set the dish down, it excretes the the scent, you know, so you have drunken that. Drunken Goat or the Drunken Pig? I, was, I think it's a Drunken Goat, I believe so. Or, yeah, the uh, duck dish I was talking about was from the Drunken Pig, I think. That's what right. I asked. Yeah. <laughs> why are there so many drunken animals out there? I mean, that's why I'm like wondering, <laughs> what's going on in Chicago? <laughs> no, that's, yeah. Awesome. Before we wrap, there's one more thing, which we always ask everyone. What's one thing that you would leave our listeners with? And it could be anything. It doesn't have to be anything inspirational. It can be, or it could just be, y'all, again, season your damn food. Listen listen to the ancestors and do it. (laughs) I think that uh, just keep an open mind, you know, Uh, just because you haven't tried it before doesn't mean that you won't like it. You know, even with your kids, I've been trying to influence them. Um, Just they're so quick to be like, I don't like that. But if you make the food colorful and you bring in there and have maybe a colorful cauliflower instead, you know, it makes it fun. So, you know, just have fun while you're cooking. And when you go out to eat, like it's an experience. And just, you know, just remember that we were given all these ingredients so just have fun with them. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. Have fun, bitches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't be afraid. So my paprika is that I cannot wait for this cold weather to be gone and for spring to come. And so Easter, it's my friend's favorite holiday is Easter. And the way she explained it is it's the first time you can go sit outside, at least for us cold weather people, not for you, San Diego and Florida, that you could sit outside again and just like enjoy the sun. And so I've been obsessed with it. And I have a brick pizza oven and I've been already looking up like different things I want to cook in the brick pizza oven for Easter, right? So I'm going to do like a, a rack of lamb. I'm going to do the whole sous vide and finish it off in the oven with a glaze. And like, just, I, I've decided that my entire Easter menu will be made in my pizza oven. And I'm super excited about that. And that's my paprika. <laughs> that's a good paprika. That's a good paprika. Yeah, right. Because I'm tired of cold weather. I want to put my arms out. In the- 
Well, you can come over here. We got 70 with a slight breeze. <laughs> but you know how it is here. I know Thanks. all my friends are in Austin right now and they're just like going through. My brother's in Dallas. It's insane. I grew up there and I've never yeah. seen anything like that, you know, so hopefully like they're going to be okay. Keep telling them to come out, you know, but can't go anywhere. Plus with the COVID and everything like that, you know, yeah. everything will come. I believe in about three months, I was reading some articles that everything will come back to normal. I hope. Yeah. Trust me, everybody, all of us in the hospitality industry is hoping that, you know, so. Right. What's your paprika? <laughs> yeah, just anything. It could be anything. Pet peeves. Pet peeves? Oh, pet peeves. Uh, <laughs> one of my biggest pet peeves is uh, I'm just over the COVID thing. You know, I understand that everything you know shut down for good reason everything like that but i, I just i want to go to a concert again <laughs> yeah live life and i want to go to a restaurant sit down i go there as much as i love food i go to restaurants for the atmosphere you know and getting together with friends and having a good time and maybe having a drink and uh i believe that everybody's stuck inside it's just further making people more anti-social and not wanting to be around other people, you know? Yeah. I think that we're losing that as people. And that's what I really don't like is that I wish everybody would come back together and start making the world a better place again. You better preach. You go ahead. <laughs> that is a good paprika. What, what was the last concert that you went to? What was the last concert we went to? I can't remember. It's been like a couple of years now. Oh, yeah. But I, I go to Austin City Limits all the time, you know? So they have 80 bands in three days. I like festivals, stuff like that. Um, we went up to, I, me and my wife actually just, we love to travel. So why go somewhere where we don't know anything and have to find different stuff? So we'll go to Chicago just because there's a concert there that we like or somebody's playing there, you know? So one of my favorite bands was playing up in Seattle. So we're just like, oh, let's go to Seattle for a couple days, you know, yeah. see a show. Instead of just hotel room being like, oh, I wonder if we can get a reservation, you know, have something mm-hmm. get there, so... And uh, I love music just as much as I love uh, food. So I'm trying to get back into that habit, you know. My wife and I, we were just talking about this last night. Like March 9th of 2020, we were at a Hamilton show. We were watching Hamilton. Uh, oh, nice. Traveling ones. And then March 10th, uh, we were at a gala, a nonprofit gala. And then that next week, the world changed. <laughs> it's like, like, like we, we just remember those were our last two events that we went to. And then the world just <laughs> shut down. So... Anyway, um, well, my paprika this week. Uh, I'll stick with you, Stacy, since you you stayed with food. I'll stick. I'll stick with food with you, uh, just this once, and let you guys know. I absolutely love. Um, I, I love documentary style shows and and things like that. And I like this new show that they have. I think it's on CNN. That's uh, Stanley Tucci's Searching for Italy, where he's he's going through Italy. I love Padma uh, Lakshmi. Uh, her show, Taste of America. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. Love that show where she goes around in different parts of America and really gets into the intricacies of all of the food that made America what it is. Like I learned about Three Sisters, which I had no idea what that was until she taught me. But my absolute favorite of all time is Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown. And I consider that a food show. He's a chef, obviously. So I, I would consider that. But Anthony, I loved his show so much and I was so inspired by it. I watched one episode where he specifically was talking about uh, the food in Trinidad and Tobago. And uh, this was a few years ago. And it was like, I don't remember, like in October or September, I saw it. 
And I, I was like, okay, Christmas is coming up. So I literally booked an entire trip for my wife and I and surprised her on Christmas and gave it to her. And then we flew out in like January, February, and we went to Trinidad just to go on this food trip. And we stopped at a lot of the restaurants that he went to on his, on his trip. And uh, we've never done anything like that. And we didn't stay in like any hotel or anything. Like we did an Airbnb and we were like totally off the, 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 the beaten path there. And uh, the Airbnb that we stayed at, uh, we were working with the lady from the Airbnb and the neighbor next door was a local cook, right? Just from her house. Like she had outdoor ovens and all of that. And she would cook every breakfast, lunch and dinner for us, you know, that we didn't eat out. Uh, we would go over to her house and we would eat with her. We ended up at like a little kid's birthday party one night, but the roti and the doubles and the the shark and bacon, all of that. Bacon shark. Reverse bacon, bacon shark. Yeah. <laughs> all of that was just fantastic. And up until that point, I never would have considered myself like a complete foodie, but now I'm like, okay, now I want to go on another experience and specifically like, cause I'm a big culture person. So I love the culture, but now I'm like, okay, I want to also be bombarded with the food in my next adventure, wherever we go, mm-hmm. once things come back a little bit. So we're, anyway, that's just my thing is, you know, I love those kind of shows and I've been inspired by them and food can take you places. Look at that. Awesome. Well, thank you. Do you want to tell people where they can find you if they want to book you or any of that? And we'll put it in show notes too. Oh, that's, yeah, that's great. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Web Creation Food. Um, I also have my own website. Uh, you can Google me, webcreationfood.com. Feel free to get in touch with me if just to talk, maybe party plan, look at some of the stuff that I've done, look at some of the places where I've been, you know, and just... Just try to get some inspiration. You know, I love to talk to people. I love to uh, collaborate. You know, if you have any good ideas or uh, have any questions about anything like that, just let me know and I'll make sure to get back to you. Awesome. And we'll add that to the show notes. And I know that I have two events that I already want to plan with these. So we're going to be in touch. So thank you, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Chef Adam. You're the bestest ever. Um, Patrick, you I. Um, And everybody else, have a great week. All right. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Episode produced by Patrick Brochu and CCN Van Horn Doria. Sound editing by Rocky Doria. And song by Dr. Delight. Patrick, would you like to clap off beat like the white boy you are? <laughs>